the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. But in our studies of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we've discovered that the entire chapter as well as chapter 9 is built around one basic thought. And that's this. Paul is addressing the Corinthians of their need to follow through and complete an offering that they had started about a year prior to this uh, to collect money for the poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem. That's, That's really what it's about. And in reminding the Corinthian church of their need to finish what they began, Paul gave us a textbook on how to handle what Jesus has given us the way Jesus wants us to handle it. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Verse by Verse, a Bible class of the air featuring the expository or verse by verse Bible teaching of Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today we begin a three-part message, the 10th message in Pastor Steve's series from 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. We'll be making the transition from chapter 8 into chapter 9 as we begin to consider some of the blessings of being generous. Now, you might be thinking that that's crazy. How does a reduction in my resources bless me? Well, a lot of things the Bible teaches seem totally backwards to the prevailing wisdom in our culture. But as we'll see, Jesus himself stated that it is more blessed to give than to receive. So let's get to the text now and see how that's possible. Here's Pastor Steve. I invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And beginning at verse 24, we're going to read until chapter 9, verse 5. And you're going to look at this, and probably, if it's the first time you're looking at this, wonder, what in the world does this mean? Well, that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to make sense out of this. But Paul tells us, starting at verse 24, Therefore, openly before the churches, show them the proof of your love and of our reason for boasting about you. For it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. For I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely, that Achaia has been prepared since last year and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case, so that, as I was saying, you may be prepared. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Now you understand, right? You read this and you wonder, what is Paul talking about? Well, to begin with, I want to just go back a little bit. John chapter 21, you don't need to turn there, but John ends his gospel account, his fourth gospel, by telling us something that's rather interesting, fascinating, and unique. John says in John chapter 21, verse 25, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, 
I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. Now, what John is telling us is that what he recorded under the inspiration of the Spirit of God was a very brief amount of material concerning what Jesus said and did. John was very selective in what he wrote down concerning the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. He tells us that while he recorded certain incidents in the earthly ministry of our Lord, the entire words and works of Jesus were so numerous that all the books in the world could not contain all those things that he said and did if they were written in detail. That is to say, if everything Jesus said and did were written down and studied and analyzed and pondered, well, it would just be an endless commentary. It would be an endless commentary. That's what, that's what John is saying, which means that there are a lot of things that, uh, that God chose not to reveal in his word to us about what Jesus said and did. There are many things that we don't know can, about the life and ministry of our Lord. The Bible is sufficient in what it tells us. It tells us enough to bring us to faith in Christ, and it tells us enough about his life and ministry. However, God did choose to record one statement made by Jesus during his earthly ministry that is not found anywhere else in the Bible. In fact, it is the only statement attributed to Christ during his time on earth outside of what's written in the four gospel accounts. Now, I understand that the words of Jesus also are written in the book of Revelation, but I'm talking about his life and ministry on earth. There's only one statement we have outside of the four Gospels concerning what Jesus said while on earth. And it is a rather significant statement because the, the, in, in light of the fact that it's the only one outside of the four Gospels, that gives considerable weight to its truth. And it's found in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. You, don't, you still don't need to turn there. Just listen. Acts chapter 20, verse 35. The Apostle Paul is giving his farewell address to the, uh, the elders, the leaders of the church at Ephesus. And he, and he's bringing it to a close. He's telling them how he has coveted no man's money. He's worked hard with his own hands to support himself as well as the poor. And then he says this. He says, in everything, I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak, the weak meaning the poor. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, and now Paul is going to tell us what Jesus said, which is not recorded anywhere else in the Bible. He said this, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give and, than to receive. This has been called the supreme beatitude. The supreme beatitude, because unlike the other beatitudes found in Matthew's gospel, this one tells us how to be more blessed, more Blessed. And it comes, Jesus said, by giving, by giving. Jesus called giving a blessing and said that it was more of a blessing to give something away than to experience the blessing of getting something that's given to you. In other words, it is better to share what you have financially and possession wise than to keep what you have and to be driven to accumulate more and more and more. Better to give it away. It is a blessed thing to give. Now that's what Jesus said. But quite frankly, I don't know many people who believe this. I don't know many people who practice this. Certainly, this is not the uh, the philosophy of the world that we live in. 
It's not the philosophy of the secular world. The world we live in is driven by a desire to accumulate money, to be financially prosperous, acquire money by earning it, by saving it, by by investing it, certainly not giving it away. Oh, there are some philanthropists, but for the most part, it is a world driven by getting more, getting more. But it's not only the secular world. We understand that. In fact, we expect it from the secular world. But a large segment within the context of contemporary Christianity adheres to what is commonly known as the prosperity gospel. And that is a gospel message that's built upon a theological belief that God wants his followers to be rich. He wants his followers to enjoy all the luxuries of life. This is really pretty much what the charismatic movement is built upon. And if you were to turn on the television and see the Christian uh, television shows that are that are on those stations, most of the time they're talking about something concerning God giving you either health or money or something of that nature. That's pretty much their, their message because that gospel message basically teaches that God's primary function is to distribute material goods and physical blessings to his people. That's, that's pretty much the message. And though this teaching appeals to many people, and it really does, many who claim to love God, to embrace it is really to disregard what Jesus said about giving and not receiving. See, the gospel of prosperity, quite frankly, is nothing more than, than heresy, the heresy that's driven by greed, but is disguised as biblical truth, so it looks spiritual. But it's not biblical truth. It's a distortion of the Bible. It's a twisting of Scripture. The gospel of prosperity urges us to selfishly gain riches, but Jesus told us to selflessly give away our riches. Now, that's radical, but that's what Scripture says. That's what Jesus said. Now, in light of that statement that Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive, I'm going to ask you a question, and we're going to answer it by the message this morning. Why? is it more blessed to give than to receive? Jesus said it was. He said that giving away our money was something that was good and and something that was really beneficial for us. But why? How does it benefit you? It makes you poorer. How does it benefit you? How can giving away our hard-earned money be a blessing? And yet that's what Jesus said. Well, this morning, we're going to discover the answer to that question because while Jesus didn't expand on it and Paul didn't expand on it in the book of Acts, He actually expanded on it in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the last verse, and then moving into chapter 9. So uh, I trust that you're there already because that's what we read from. But in our studies of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we've discovered that the entire chapter as well as chapter 9 is built around one basic thought, and that's this. Paul is addressing the Corinthians of their need to follow through and complete an offering that they had started about a year prior to this uh, to collect money for the poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem. That's, that's really what it's about. However, in the midst of all of this, if you've been following Paul's train of thought as we've been going through this, you've discovered that Paul deals with two broad subjects concerning their giving. Number one, he's told the Corinthians to be generous. Be like the Macedonian churches, be like Jesus, be generous, be sacrificial, give generously. Secondly, he's told them to give with integrity, to not just give, but to to give with virtue, to give with integrity, to follow through and complete and, and, and to do what they promised 
to give and to handle it properly and all that. Now, as he closes chapter 8 and continues into chapter 9, Paul presents another broad truth and principle about giving, and it is this. And this is what we're going to see till the end of the chapter. Being generous has its benefits and its blessings. Being generous has its benefits and blessings. Now, this is most relevant to us because most of us don't see giving like that. We see it as sort of a necessity. We do it, but it's rather unexciting. The the usher passes the plate. You either put money in, you don't take money out, but you put money in. And, uh, you know, it just gets passed on and then some men counted and then it goes to the office. It gets put in the, in the bank. The elders decide how it's going to be spent. All, all that. that. That doesn't seem very exciting. But I want you to know that what Paul tells us and what we're studying this morning is that it is very exciting because there are benefits to your giving. You may give a little bit, you may give a lot, but you, but we tend to think that big deal. So I've given some. How can it really impact anything? But it does. It has tremendous implications and profound, profound implications concerning your giving. Some people give and they're just annoyed at giving. I mean, they know that they need to do this to obey the Lord, but they can sure think of a lot of other things to do with this money. And they, they sort of harbor this resentment about giving and because our natural tendency is to want to get and, and really not give. That's not the way we're wired. That's not our, our fallen nature to, to, to be givers. But when you see how beneficial your giving is, you're going to be excited about it. I think this is wonderful to, to see. And we're, we're going to discover some things in the next few weeks about the benefits and the blessings of giving. And so I hope to go through this rather quickly. I sense that some of you are wilting under these messages about giving. And so I, I want to cover this as quickly as we can and yet do justice to the text. Uh, we've already covered a lot about giving that, I, that I've brought out from other verses. So I, I hope to not belabor the point. But let's begin this morning by looking at three benefits of being generous. How does it benefit you? How does it benefit others? How does it glorify God? Let's begin by looking at the first benefit of being generous is this. Number one, it demonstrates your love to others. It demonstrates or proves or puts on display your love to others. Paul tells us this in verse 24. Therefore, openly before the churches, meaning the other churches, show them the proof of your love and of our reason for boasting about you. Now, Paul says that I, I want you to show to other churches that you, the Corinthians, are a loving church. I've boasted about your love. Now you have an opportunity to demonstrate it. Now, why did Paul say this? Well, the verses leading up to this statement, if you'll recall, Paul informed the Corinthians that he was sending Titus to Corinth with two other men, which he doesn't mention. We don't know their names, but Titus and two other men who were official. These other men were official representatives from other churches. These other churches sent them there. When they were to arrive in Corinth, their job was to do one thing. They were to supervise the collection. They were in charge of it. Their job was to supervise the collection for the Jerusalem saints. Now, that's what Paul said in verses 19 through 23. I won't take the time to, to read it, but that's what leads up to this. Now, what he's saying in verse 24 is that in light of, of their coming to Corinth, Paul is saying, I want you by your offering, by your display of generosity, by giving to the poor in Jerusalem, I want you to demonstrate to these delegates from other churches how loving you really are. And Paul said, I boasted about it. 
But now I want you to, to prove that my boast wasn't empty. I want you to give, and, I, and they're going to take note of this. In other words, their generosity in helping the poor in Jerusalem would prove to these other churches that God's love dwelt in the Corinthians. They were a loving church. They were a thoughtful church. They were a selfless church. Paul said, when, when these delegates observe you Corinthians giving, they're going to know how loving you are. Now, that's, that's what verse 24 is about. But I want to stop here and consider this. According to this verse, and this is the, the heart of it, Paul is teaching here that one of the benefits of being generous with our money is that believers from other churches can see our love. Now, that's interesting. That's interesting. He's not talking about uh, prove your love so that you have assurance of your salvation. The first John mentions that. How do we know the love of God dwells in us unless we're loving? But this isn't about that. This is about proof to other people that you're loving. Now, the question is, why? Why is that important? Why should we have to prove to anybody, let alone other churches, that we love? Why should we care what other Christians and churches think about us? Now, that has to be answered, because if you didn't think about that now, you would after the, the message. Why is it that we have to? Paul told the Corinthians, it's important that, that I, I boasted about you. It's important that they see that you're loving. The question is, why? Why is it so important? Well, the answer is that our testimony for Christ is tied to our obedience to his word. When other believers see our obedience, and in this case, our our love as a church body, they recognize that God's grace is at work in our lives, transforming us from being selfish, greedy people to being selfless, giving, generous people who love others, who are willing to sacrifice for others. We put that on display for others to see that. Why? Because ultimately that brings glory to God. Ultimately, when you see God's work in other people's lives, that ought to bring glory to God. When we observe others, obedient to the Lord, and in this case, loving by by giving uh, generously, we ought to give praise to God. We ought to glorify God. That's what, that's what Paul's talking about because God is the source who's brought about this marvelous transformation. It's not, it's not us. So you see, we should be concerned about our reputation as a church because a bad reputation as a church body is a poor reflection on the Lord who saved us. It's just a poor reflection. Let me, let me tell you a, a conversation I had with a, a member of our church, which I think uh, helps to, to illustrate this. A leader in another church in our community told one of our members that his perception, this was a few years ago, but that his perception of Lakeside was that we were a church who had a lot of knowledge about the Bible. We were taught the Bible, but he said we didn't do much about applying the word. That is to say, the accusation was that we were merely hearers of the word who loved to study and fill our minds with with truth, but we went out of here and didn't put it into practice. We were not doers of the word. Now, honestly, I don't think that's an accurate picture of Lakeside. I, I think that certainly that's true of some. It's true of some in any congregation. I don't think that's characteristic of us as a body of, of believers. I think we're a very loving congregation. I think we're growing in that. I think obviously there's room to grow more and be sensitive to people, but I don't think that's that's really a fair assessment. And I realize that some people, especially leaders, sometimes say negative things about other churches out of jealousy and envy, but be that as it may, that was the perception of this Christian leader. False or true, that was his perception. Should we be concerned about that perception? Uh, 
Yeah, yeah, we should. Sure, because to be a church that is viewed as filled with knowledge without love is a poor testimony to Christ. It's a poor testimony for him and his work of grace in our lives. In fact, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, that any Christian who's filled only with head knowledge but not heart obedience is proud. Proud. Paul says that knowledge puffs up but love edifies, meaning that knowledge alone, knowledge without application, knowledge without love, is just a very heady thing. It's an ego trip. It's being a theological egghead. It's just having all this information, but uh, love, he says, edifies. But you know how you dispel that perception that people have? One way to do that, to dispel this perception, is by demonstrating our love for others through our giving, through our giving. Because there is nothing quite like sacrificial giving that shows our obedience to God's word to love others. This is what 1 John chapter 3 is talking about, and, and Jack has covered this in his studies on 1 John wonderfully. But let me remind you, 1 John 3.16, For we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We ought to sacrifice for the brethren. We ought to give. John explains what he means by this. Whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? If you see somebody in need, especially a fellow believer, and you have the resources to meet that need and you you don't do it, but you might say, I'll pray about it. John says, how does God's love dwell in you? The implication is it doesn't. And then he says, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but indeed in truth. Don't just go around telling people you love them, but love them. Do something. Love is an action. Love is a verb. It's not really a noun. It's a verb. So, If Paul was concerned about the testimony of the Corinthian church before other churches, and I might add it was a church that he had had written to them about their need for being loving. They were not always loving. 1 Corinthians 13 is written to them because they were not loving. But now Paul says, you've changed and I boast about you and I'm confident that you you are going to be loving. If Paul was concerned for the testimony of these Corinthian believers before other churches, then you know what? We ought to be concerned about our testimony before other Christians, and especially other churches in this community. We want them to see, not to exalt ourselves, but God's grace. We want them to see God at work in our lives demonstrated by giving because we love. We're not a, a, an extremely wealthy church. We're not a church, as far as I know, made up of uh, many millionaires. When we give, it demonstrates that we're giving sacrificially. It demonstrates our love. When we minister to those in our church and benevolent funds and, and uh, other things, and we even expand the facilities, and we don't have any other resources coming in. When you give, it is a demonstration of your love for others, your love for this ministry, your love for Christ, and it sends a very clear message to other people in other churches. Your personal generosity as a member at Lakeside testifies to the health of this church. Giving is not something that you just do. It's something that that has a ripple effect and does send a clear message to others. It sends the message that God is in the process of shaping us into people who love others enough to give. That's what it does, and that's that's a benefit of giving. Your giving is not insignificant. What does it do? The first benefit of being generous is that it demonstrates your love to others. It demonstrates the, the testimony of the grace of God in your life. Because let's face it, by nature, all of us are cheap and stingy. And when we give, it demonstrates God is doing a work, transforming us. 
It's been well said that we are never more Christ-like than when we forgive. But it's just as true that we are equally Christ-like when we give, especially if it's sacrificial giving. While giving demonstrates our love for others, there is another aspect for giving, and Pastor Steve Kreloff will get to that on the next Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you'd like to know more about Lakeside, there's a wealth of information on their website, lakesidechapel.com. You'll find a map, contact information, and more at lakesidechapel.com. You can also call the office with questions about this topic, about salvation, or if you'd like to request a CD copy of this message, The Benefits of Being Generous, Part 1. The number is 727-441-1714. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry of Lakeside, and we greatly appreciate the generous listeners whose gifts help with our costs. If you'd like to know more, we have giving information on our website, versebyverseradio.org, or check out our audio library on the Message Archive page. Stream or download as many programs as you'd like. There's no charge. That's versebyverseradio.org. I heard about a newspaper editor who would often tell his best cartoonist, a guy he called Smitty, that he was the second best cartoonist he knew. Now, someone noticed once and later asked this editor who was the best. Well, I don't know, said the editor, but he keeps Smitty motivated. Giving should not be competitive, but still, when we see excellence in others, it often inspires excellence in us. I'm Jerry Peterson. I hope you'll be here for the next Verse by Verse as Pastor Steve Kreloff points out the contagious nature of giving generously. We're here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.